0: Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Good morning, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's great for me to be with you today. Such an honor to uh, speak behind uh, this pulpit and to share to all of you a portion of God's Word today. Take your Bibles and let's go to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. This morning the title of the message is this, Lamenting the Personal Pain of Ministry. Years ago, I remember a seasoned pastor saying this, you know, ministry would be a cakewalk if it wasn't for people. (laughs) His tongue in cheek statement reveals something that we all know to be true and that is ministry, regardless of where it is or what role you have, is hard. It isn't long until that passionate calling, that burning desire to help people collides head on with unrealistic expectations, traumatic events, emotional conflicts, leadership challenges and your own personal insecurities suddenly the dark clouds of disappointment can begin to roll in and they can roll in really quickly I remember the room the location the person when I first heard these words pastor you have disappointed me ministry is a strange paradox on the one hand, it can be glorious. I love the church. I love declaring the gospel. I love seeing people's lives transformed and changed. I love seeing the witness of a new believer being baptized or to observe the, the, the incremental change of Christ-likeness in a person. But on the other hand, ministry involves dying, dying at so many levels. It requires sacrifice and humility. It involves sometimes absorbing the pain of people. It sometimes involves relational conflict and personal attacks and even betrayals. Surveys abound regarding the number of ministry leaders who are discouraged or even depressed, and the result is that often pastoral tenures or ministry Longevity is way too short, regardless of what the person's role is, and the fact remains that the enemy wants ministry leaders to be discouraged. He wants them to sit under the looming clouds of disappointment and disillusionment. And the fact of the matter is is that ministry involves the heart. Spurgeon once said that our work is more than mental work, it is heart work, the labor of our inmost soul. So here's the question that I want to take up this morning, and it's this. So where do you go when your calling collides with the corruption of people who call themselves Christians? The problem is not just the intensity of the pain. The problem is, can also be the isolation of the role. Because the fact of the matter is, if you're a faithful follower of Jesus and you faithfully serve the church, you can't go blabbering about what people are saying about you. You can't, as tempting as it is, you can't use them as an illustration in a Sunday school lesson or a sermon, sermon. and you have to deal with your pain. And so among all of the things that you might consider to use, this morning I want to help you understand another tool to put in your ministry perseverance tool belt, and that is the biblical category, the minor key song of lament. I want to suggest to you that in order to make it over the long haul, in order to deal with the absorption of people's pains, in order to know how to run a longer race, in order to know how to be a good counselor, how to be a good Bible study leader, how to be a good preacher, how to be a good professor For that matter how to be a good husband how to be a good wife How to be a good friend a disciple you need to know how to lament So before we get into Psalm 55. Let me just give you a quick overview. What is a lament? You may not be familiar with what lament is I wasn't the Lord kind of backed me into lament Most people don't study lament on purpose. It sort of finds them lament I would summarize it this way, is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So it's a prayer, I'm talking to God about my pain and it's designed to lead me to the commitment of reaffirming what I know to be true. It might surprise you to know that over a third of the Psalms are written in this minor key song. A third of the official songbook of God's people reflects this heartfelt, tear-filled talking to God. Sometimes the laments are personal. They deal with individual pain. Sometimes they're corporate as the nation mourns what's happening. Other times they're repentant-oriented because we've done something wrong and we gotta talk to God about how we feel about our sins. Sometimes there's a strong desire for justice to be done because what's happened is just straight-up wrong. Lament Psalms vary with the various painful and dark circumstances in life. You could think of a lament psalm as essentially having four key elements. Now, not every psalm has all of these elements. It's poetry, it's music. You can't sort of treat it in a linear sort of fashion, but most laments have something of turning to God. In my pain, I talk to him. I complain, I lay out what I am struggling with, and I'll help you understand what that means more in a moment. Third, that I ask God to help me. I ask him to boldly make his promises to be true in my life, and then I choose to trust him. So a lament is turn, complain, ask, and trust. Now what I want to do is I want to use Psalm 55 and I wanna overlay those four words, turn, complain, ask, and trust, to show you how to look at a lament psalm, and here's my end game, so you could see this, understand the empathy that comes through this psalm, and then you could use that as a platform for you to pray your own lament, as in the midst of your pain, you turn to God, lay out your complaints, ask him boldly to help you, and choose to trust, especially when the pains of ministry, or the personal hurts of getting into the mess of people's lives has become really personal and really painful. You see, even though I had graduated from seminary, even though I had studied the Bible for years, I didn't realize how helpful and life-giving laments could be. And so instead of using sort of maybe your regular model for prayer, you know, the acts sort of model, adore, confess, thanks and supplication, you could use this model to turn, complain, ask, and trust. So let's look at Psalm 55. Notice in verse 1, the psalmist says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. David pleads to God to listen to him and not be distant from his pain. Notice that he's acknowledging what feels to be true in this moment. God, I'm here dealing with this, and you feel like you're a million miles away. Give ear to my prayer. We don't know entirely what the background is with this psalm. Many scholars assume that it's the circumstances related to the coup by his son Absalom and likely by the betrayal of a trusted counselor named Ahithophel. Verse 2. He wants God to attend to him. He says, attend to me and answer me. The word attend means God pay attention. He's asking God to answer him. He's asking God to help him. So what you need to know is this is one of the most important things as it relates relates to lament, and that is that when pain or difficulty or disappointment or deep discouragement come, some Christians, some ministry leaders, fall into the pit of silence. They stop talking to God about their pain, either because they don't know what to say, or they don't have a model of how to talk to God, or in their talking to God about what's happening, the circumstances don't change, and as a result, they grow weary of saying the same thing to God, and so their prayers actually become in their minds, even more discouraging. As I've studied and thought about the issue of lament, I find that many Christians, when it relates to pain, and even ministry leaders as it relates to difficulties in the context of the church, often fall into one of two ditches. On the one hand, they fall into the ditch of denial. They think that true Christianity is walking around saying to everybody, everything's fine. They equate joyful Christianity with the denial that it's actually really hard. And so they fall into this sort of, we're gonna fake it till we make it. And think of how many Christians every Sunday morning are walking through sanctuaries and sitting in pews and afterwards having fellowship time who are lying through their teeth that everything is fine. It's not, but for them, they think that real Christians don't struggle. So the ditch of denial, on the other hand, is the ditch of despair. Oh, this is very common. The despair believes that I don't know that I can make it through this. Or, even more so, I'm not sure I'm a Christian if I feel this way. I have doubts, I have struggles, I have deep-seated questions. And what lament does is it opens the voice of hurting Christians. In this context, it opens the voice of a hurting, betrayed leader, and he talks to God in the midst of his pain. So, If I could help you, if you're on the beginning of your uh, future of ministry, if there's one thing I could get you to do from this message today, it would be this, don't stop talking to God in pain. Tell him, tell him all of it. There's something deeply comforting about these lament psalms. You're gonna see things in a few moments related to what the words actually mean and what they say that are really, really helpful. They remind us as we pray that Jesus understands our struggles, that God knows what is happening, and while lament is often messy, you need to know that it takes faith to pray a lament prayer when you are wounded and weary. Instead of going down the path of being angry or letting the poisonous mist of bitterness begin to seep into your soul, it takes faith to talk to God about what's going on in your heart. In fact, I would argue that lament is one of the most theologically informed things that Christians can do. So turn to God, number one. Two, complain. Now, for some of you, it might be odd that you would suggest that you should complain. From the outset, I just want to acknowledge that you can sinfully complain, the Bible is full of famous grumblers. But what we're talking about here is a different kind of complaint. Notice what he says in the second half of verse two. He says, I am restless, and in my complaint I moan. He's acknowledging this is really hard. That word restless there is the same word that's used of a bewildered army. When, when the army is just about to lose a battle and they don't know if they should retreat or if they should move forward and they're not quite sure what's happening on the right flank or the left flank and it's sort of like they're looking all around that's the idea and if you've ever endured opposition painful opposition from people you know that sort of gets into your psyche you walk down the church hallway you walk into a particular meeting room and you're like what are you all saying about me you start to wonder this little whispering conversation over here, is that are you guys like plotting against me? Once you've been betrayed, you see betrayers everywhere. Unless you deal with that heart that sees people through that lens. Now, why is complaint a biblical category? Todd Billings in his book, Rejoicing in Lament, says this. If a person did not believe that God was sovereign, there would be no cause for lament. It is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings his laments and his petitions to the Lord. You see, if the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God is indeed unfaithful, then they would not continue to offer their complaint. In other words, every human being cries. It's how when you came out of the warm confines of your mother's womb, it was the first sound that you made. It was a protest, a new life entered the world and the first sound we made was a wail. It's an appropriate designation of how broken the world is. No one had to teach you how to cry. To cry is human, but I would suggest to you that to lament is Christian, why? because we're the ones who know the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We know what's wrong with the world. Sin has made its way into everything. We know Jesus came to make it all right, and we know one day he's going to come. We know Jesus is on the throne, and sovereign, and ruling over all, and yet cancer is still a part of our experience. People still die. That's why Solomon wisely said that it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting, why? because you learn more at funerals than you do at parties christians complain because we know that god could change this and yet he hasn't we know that god knows what they're saying god knows what their words are doing and yet they're allowed to continue And those who are theologically oriented, those Christians who understand creation, fall, redemption, know that there's coming a day when Jesus is going to make all of this right and in the interim, Christians long for Jesus to return and so they say, how long, oh Lord? How long? Friends, that's a lament. He's restless. He says, I'm restless in my complaint and I moan, verse three. Here's the summary of the challenge that's in front of him. He lays it out, he tells God, this is what is happening. And by the way, just by identifying what is wrong can be incredibly spiritually helpful call it therapeutic, cathartic, whatever you want. I've had it before where my heart has been so hurt and burdened and so mad, I took out a piece of paper and just wrote down everything that was troubling me and then looked at my list, as like seven things, and I'm like, man, that's just seven things are wearying to my soul. It's helpful, helpful to articulate it, to say it, and he summarizes it. He says, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, notice this language, They drop trouble upon me, and in anger, they bear a grudge against me. So I love that idea of they drop trouble on me. An email that shows up, a particular phone conversation, or hey, can we get together for lunch, and you think it's gonna be just a meeting where you're gonna just be able to hang out and have a good conversation, and in the middle of the lunch, you realize, oh my, this is gonna go south. Verse 4, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Notice, he's not just discouraged and distracted. He's actually disoriented. He's delusioned, and if he's not careful, he's going to be defeated. He's going to be done, and that's the path. And what helps is lament allows us to talk to God about our struggle. Fear and trembling lay hold of me or come upon me and horror overwhelms me in verse five. Notice verse six, I remember first reading this in my Bible and smiling, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. (laughs) I've said to my wife before, I just wanna go flip burgers at McDonald's or something on a dark evening on a Sunday night when I think my sermon has been worthless and nothing is working anymore. In fact, one of our commitments is we don't make any decisions on Sunday night because the whole world's falling apart on Sunday evenings. He wants to run away. I love the fact that the psalmist is dishonest. You could read things in the Lament Psalms and they resonate with your heart because you felt that way. I I wish, verse seven, I could wander away and lodge in the wilderness. So do you have a place in your mind that's like really far away, the place that you want to, to, to run to? You know, sometimes ministry leaders, they run away without ever leaving. Maybe they remain emotionally distant from people. Or maybe they disengage from people-oriented ministry or they find themselves distracted by entertainment just to let their mind go on park. Or they fall into temptations because they can justify it in their minds because of how badly they've been hurt. David acknowledges that he's in a tough place. Verse eight, I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. So here's the psalmist, David, pouring out his complaint. Notice how it gets even more personal Skip ahead to verse 12. He says, for it is not an enemy, we'll come back to verse 10 in a moment, for it was not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, uh, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, Just, just feel the weight of this. And now think of this. Think of a congregation of 800 people singing this. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, have the Gettys put some music to that, right? Right? I mean, this is, people were singing these songs in the context of a morning worship service. Let's stand together and sing about your awful friend who betrayed you last week. Ready? Here we go. Verse (laughs) 3. I mean, legitimately, that's what it says. For it's not an enemy who taunts me. You're a man who's my equal. Verse 14, notice this. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. The idea is, bro, we were walking together. We were like arm in arm. And it's not just that you ditched me. It's you cut me. Notice the description of the betrayer in verse 20 and 21. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. Verse 21 is really important. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, and yet they were drawn swords. Virgin says this, he buttered him with flattery and battered him with malice. In order for you to persevere over the long haul, you need to know that that text is gonna matter to you someday. If you've been in ministry for any number of to- years or worked in the context of dealing with any kind of people, you're gonna run into folks whose speech is smooth as butter and yet war is in, your, in that person's heart. So you see what's happening here. The, the psalmist is laying out his complaint. He's identifying what's going on in his soul. And rather than giving God the silent treatment and not talking about it, rather than talking to other people about what's going on, he's, he's, he's talking to God about the difficult rumblings of his hurting heart. So turn, complain, By the way, if you stay in complaint, if you're like, in Jesus' name, amen, you end right there, you haven't just lamented, you've just sinned. Because lament is a process. It's meant to lead you somewhere. It's not designed to be a cul-de-sac of sorrow. Lament is meant to be a conduit for you to lead your own soul to renew its trust in God. So turn, complain, ask. Go back up to verse 9. Again, this isn't linear, but here are the elements. Verse nine, here we see what he asks God to do. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. But by asking God to destroy and divide their tongues, he's asking them to confuse and confound their speech. And it's not as if God's never done that in biblical history. He's saying, God, like what you did in Babel, do that again. Like, make them confuse so they don't even know what they're saying. Notice, though, he's not just concerned about himself, he's concerned about the unfairness and its effects on the entire community of faith. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it, ruin in its midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. So what lament prayers help us to do is they help us to deal with our own pain so that we can then appeal to the God of justice for the bigger implications of the negative effects on other people. So here's the thing, you serve in any capacity in ministry leadership, you have to deal with the personal pain coming your direction, but realizing that that pain coming your direction has a toxic influence on others. And you have to deal with the effects of it, but if you overly personalize it, you'll gut your ability to really be helpful. Because it'll all become about you. And at one level, brother or sister, that's understandable because of the nature of the hurt, but what happens is then you handcuff your ability for God to use you to really bring about change because you never quite know if you're doing this because it's wrong or because you're wounded. So this frees us to do what is right because we've worked it out by lamenting and talking to God about our struggles. Look at verse 15. David appeals for divine justice. He says, let death steal over them, let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. He is appealing for divine justice in the same way that God brought justice to those in Korah's rebellion. Now, I wanna be careful here because David is not only praying as a man who's been betrayed, but he's also praying as the seated king of Israel for Absalom, if that's the context, to usurp his authority and for Ahithophel to have abandoned the king was not just a personal issue against David. There are legal and national implications and justice issues that are in play here. So I'm not suggesting that you then pour out every bitter thought that you have or every revenge filled consideration but I do think that you need to talk to God about what's wrong as you entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. Pray that your detractors would repent. Pray that their hearts would be changed. Tell God what is wrong and ask him for help so that you can then be helpful. So turn, complain, ask, Finally, trust. This is where lament is incredibly useful. It walks us through a process of talking to God honestly, asking him to help, choosing to trust him. And the word but is the key. Look at verse 16. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. All laments have a pivot point. Sometimes the pivot point is marked by the word but, sometimes the words then or so. It's a turn. He says, but I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Verse 17, he's confident. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and I moan, and he hears my voice. Notice, it sounds very different than the first verse verses right where he's praying God please hear me please hear me now he's reaffirming what he knows to be true that God is going to hear him and here's one of the reasons that lament is really really helpful it is this it allows us to talk to God about things that we know aren't true but they feel true nonetheless in the moment I know that you hear me God where are you And I think a lot of people think that real Christians and real Christian ministers and whatever your role is, they don't wrestle with those sort of things. And I would say the psalmist does. Look at verse 18. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. Verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Now it's as though he's instructing the group of people which are singing this song along with him. And this is what lament does, is it leads you from God, I'm going to talk to you about my pain, I'm going to lay out very clearly what is the struggle of my soul, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to believe your promises, and I'm going to land my heart back into trust. And not as though this process, once completed, ends all of the struggles because there are lots of laments. Sometimes you have to do it all again the next day, and again the next day, and then again the next day. And perseverance is not simply settling the issue, it is the unwillingness to settle into discouragement and allow it to take hold of you. Look at verse 23 here is how it ends. But you... O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. In other words, God, you're the one who knows and you're going to make all this right. But I will trust in you. Can you imagine if you're facing some sort of really difficult situation, walking into a pretty volatile meeting and You know it could turn out pretty poorly to take this kind of lament prayer and just talk to God about what you're afraid of, what you're concerned about, so that you walk into that engagement with a heart that's more prepared to respond in a Christ-like manner because you've lamented. So let me give you three quick summary points as to how this is helpful. A psalm like this and lament in general can be helpful because of first, empathy. This minor key song validates the strong emotions that run through your soul. Some of you have believed the lie that because I feel this, it must be sub-Christian to question God or to struggle with his purposes. And and granted, those can go way too far. Don't get me that wrong, don't get me wrong. You can take that way, way too far. You approach God with some sort of you owe me mentality. Brothers and sisters, that's sin. But to say to God, I don't understand. This is hard and yet I'm going to trust you. I think that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. I think lament is the song that you sing between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Perseverance in ministry comes by learning that pain is a part of the calling and learning how to live while living with that pain. Empathy. Number two, freedom. As I've learned to lay out my complaints and talk to the Lord about them, it's surprising how they lose their hold on me. It's refreshing to talk to God about what's running through my soul. And it's not as though God, the Father, ever says to the Holy Spirit, did you know Mark was thinking that? That's a surprise to us. I find myself having to remind my soul, God already knows what's in my heart, so why am I afraid to tell him about it? Empathy, freedom, and finally, hope. Lament reminds me that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And if you feel a tension in your heart about the legitimacy of what I'm saying and wondering, wait a minute, that's Old Testament, what about New Testament? I would say to you, Jesus prayed on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quoted Psalm 22, 1 on the cross. And engaging in this historic and candid prayer language reinforces Jesus' connection and his personal care for us. When I, paint, when, I, when I pray painful words, I'm rehearsing my identification with the man of sorrows, and in so doing, lament reinforces and reaffirms my calling. I'm called to be like Jesus, a man of sorrows who wept over Jerusalem, acquainted with grief. You see, friends, lament doesn't solve all the ministry problems that you'll face. I'm not saying this is like the silver bullet this fixes everything, it doesn't. People still need to be counseled. Sermons still need to be written. Conflicts have to be managed wisely. People are still gonna be disappointed. Traumatic events are just a phone call away. But here's the thing, but nursing a wounded heart with no means of expressing it in prayer can set pastors and ministry leaders up for isolation, depression, or worse. Instead of quitting, lament can be the kind of prayerful conduit for the supply of God's grace. This biblical prayer language could be the way that we tell God, This hurts. I'm really disappointed. Help me to be like Jesus right now. Ministry is going to be challenging comes with the calling, but lament offers to us an outlet where we can turn and complain and ask and trust. We can lament. We can pray pray prayers of pain that lead us to trust. Let me pray for you. God, I ask you, to use the helpful words in the Psalms and the helpful words of Jesus on the cross to remind us that you care for us. I pray for brothers and sisters hearing this message today who need even right now to embrace what it means to lament. I pray that they would feel your love and your favor even in the midst of their tears and that you know all of their tears personally, and none of them have been lost by you. So grant us grace to follow you, Jesus. We thank you that we can pray to you while we're in pain so we can continue to place our hope and confidence in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.